The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 12, reading verses 9 to 13, I invite uh, your reverent attention to the public reading of God's holy word here in the 12th chapter of Romans. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things I uh, was a bit slow to learn, among many things, uh, uh, in uh, my business career uh, was that uh, all of life is about relationships. In my business career, I thought, you know, if you have a great product and a great price and great service uh, and great technical assistance that someone can access, man, you'll just conquer everything and make every sale. It took me a while to learn that's not true, necessarily, uh, because... Life is about relationships. Customers want a relationship. Um, most of you have relationships with your neighbors. Uh, students, uh, obviously, uh, within guidelines, should have a relationship with their uh, professors. And on and on we can go. People. People have a way of doing business and helping people that they like. And those relationships that we're for are, are critical. Uh, that's not just not true in our secular and civil lives. It's true about life in the church. And Paul here this morning, uh, part one of dealing with virtues, is going to teach us that relationships are fueled by virtue. Uh, this is part of the continuing legacy, uh, first couple of verses in Romans chapter 12, that we're to be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And part of our transformation is a development of virtues. Uh, it's important to remember that our virtues are based upon the theology of the new creation. Uh, as you know, we've transitioned from uh, uh, the lessons of the legal aspect of our salvation and justification, but now we uh, transition to the moral, uh, what God is doing uh, in us. And one of the things that he's doing in us is developing our virtues so that we can have relationships in the church. And as well, part of that is evidence of our sanctification by the Great Spirit. So that evidence of the new birth and justification is in virtues as evidence of the transformation of our moral lives by the grace of God. Uh, virtue is a duty. Um, 
particularly in the church, and that's where Paul has us this morning, in the church. We have a duty to engage in virtuous living and establish relationships. And because of our vertical relationship with God, we can have horizontal relationships with people in the church. And those relationships, again, are fueled by virtue. Uh, our text this morning is a uh, series of uh, entreaties. Uh, an entreaty is a very polite imperative. And they obviously reference uh, our personal engagement in life in the church. Look at verse 9. Uh, the first uh, duty or the first entreaty from the apostle uh, is love. It's very interesting to me that in the Greek text, uh, love is preceded by the definite article. That's not always true that an article is to be translated as definite, but um, I think in this case uh, it is. It's somewhat burdensome to translate it in our English. We don't say, let the love. Uh, but uh, I think it is a reference to uh, our love for neighbor because of God's sacrificial love for us. And, and therefore, the love. What love? Our love for neighbor. Based upon what? God's sacrificial love for us. That he was under no obligation whatsoever. I would remind you, if you're a Christian, He loved you from eternity past. He loved you before you were even birthed. He loved you before you had done anything good or bad. Just deep uh, reference to the sovereign grace of God. Uh, the modifier uh, to love is without hypocrisy. In other words, pretending. It's really what a hypocrite is. They they, they pretend. Uh, we don't pretend to love people. There should be uh, a genuineness and sincerity to our love. In fact, uh, this very word is used by uh, Peter in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 22, and have a sincere love. Uh, Paul uses this word in 2 Corinthians 6, 6, uh, where we have the word genuine. Genuine love. And the opposite is pretense. The related con uh, concept in Luke chapter 20, verse 20, um, the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, watched Jesus and they sent spies uh, to watch him. And uh, the spies, Luke says, pretended to be righteous. They were really evil. They were on an evil mission, but they pretended to be friends and supportive of Christ. Uh, this uh, concept of sincerity and genuine uh, is uh, a word from uh, the stage. An actor plays a part. And so what Paul is telling us is uh, don't pretend to love. Uh, don't play a part. Uh, be the real be the real thing in your love for people in the church. Uh, certainly by application uh, outside the church, 
as well, um, you know, your neighbors and uh, perhaps people at work. Again, I'll stop there. Uh, but there needs to be a genuineness and sincerity about our lives. Um, I think our own culture is growing uh, colder and colder. Um, I'm always amazed by uh, neighborhoods that I've lived in or uh, neighborhoods that my parents lived in. Uh, just sometimes you didn't even know who your neighbors were. Uh, or you, you, know, you passed them like you know, ships in the night. A quick wave, how you doing, good to see you. Uh, and then we hurry on. It needs to be different in the life of the church. Um, what, what follows this concept of love may uh, be defined in the context. Because second, Paul says, abhor what is evil. And again, the Greek text is abhor the evil. Uh, perhaps relating to the satanic forces that are in the world that are desperately trying to compromise and reclaim you. Could also be a reference to uh, uh, the tribulation, the end time tribulation, that is filled with evil that progresses and surges all the more violently with each passing age. Um, the, uh, uh, the verb abhor is, is a compound verb. Often in the Greek text, compound verbs are used for emphasis. I think that is the case here. Uh, the, uh, the simplex verb uh, is simply to hate. So you, you should hate evil. Uh, hate it in the sense that you get away from it in all of its forms when they come knocking on your door or whispering in your ear. Get away from it. Uh, parallel to this is what follows. Uh, cleave to what is good. Uh, how do I abhor evil? Well, cleave to what is good. Uh, and again, uh, there's the definite article. Cleave to the good. Perhaps referencing the good that has its source in God alone. The good that we find and read about in scriptures. Uh, the good that we read about in great Christian biographies or we have from a godly parent. Referencing uh, God's divine provision. Uh, uh, the word cleave uh, has the idea used sometimes of the idea of glue. Uh, well, if you're not, if you're like me, and you've ever used glue, you're you're probably saying, "Come on, power socks! All the glue I use eventually fails." I mean, I've gone out and bought that Gorilla Glue and glued stuff in my home, and guess what? <laughs> A few months later, it's all coming undone. So, you know, glue perhaps is not the best of words. I like the I like the word to weld. Uh, when I uh, worked on pipeline construction uh, as a welder's helper, uh, before a welder was ever hired, he had to pass a test. It's a practical test. He had to weld sections of pipe. 
you have two pieces of pipe, you join them together, he had to weld it. And then they would, uh, they would cut out portions of the pipe that included the weld and put it in a stress test. And the pipe had to break before the weld. If the weld broke, he didn't get the job. Uh, that's about as permanent uh, as you can get. Uh, and it references the fact that um, we're to be welded uh, to the good. It's interesting the the, the word the verb cleave uh, used in Matthew uh, chapter 19 verse 5. Uh, Jesus says of the institution of marriage, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be welded to his wife, cleave to her, and the two become one flesh. That's how you're to respond to good. Weld yourself to it. Uh, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Um, the verb, another compound verbal form, literally love of family. Uh, therefore, this is a, a very important concept in life in the church. Brotherly love. Why? Because we're a spiritual family. And again, that virtue, that, that virtue fuels relationships in the life of a church. Uh, the world doesn't have that. The world is just bustling along, uh, trying to make sense out of things perhaps, but you and I have a respite, love within the church between one another. Uh, next is give preference to one another in honor. Once again, the Greek text is literally the honor. Uh, the verb here, again, another compound form, uh, in which the simplex verb is to guide or go before. And so the idea that Paul is stressing is take the lead in showing dignity, esteem, and respect in the church. Be a leader in that. What it means to give preference to one another. Be a leader in esteeming and respecting And think of that virtue, how it would transform our political discourse. Well, we're not here to talk civics. We're here to talk about life in the church, esteeming one another. Uh, contextually, as you know, our gifts are to edify others. And so Paul is telling us to take the lead, be proactive and not passive. Uh, I would remind you that passivity in the Christian faith in regards to our sanctification is, is a very dangerous course. Don't be passive. Be active. In this case, take the lead in respecting, showing honor and dignity. In... In verse 11, Paul says, not lagging behind. Don't be a laggard. When I was in the army, um, 
number of years I spent in a, a unit that trained drill sergeants and eventually drill sergeants. You go on active duty and uh, you, uh, you train soldiers that are entering the military and typically there's a lot of running that goes on. Uh, the first runs, as you might imagine, have a lot of laggards. People just simply fall out. Just, you know, can't. Can't do one mile, much less two or three miles. But eventually the laggards decrease uh, under the hot breath of a drill sergeant. But nonetheless, um, don't fall out of the formation. Uh, don't be a laggard. Um, here again, the verb uh, comes from uh, the concept of to hesitate or delay. Don't delay. I sometimes do this. Well, should I speak to that person about thus and such? And uh, for whatever reason, I'm a laggard and I always regret that I didn't ask about perhaps their ailing parent or uh, uh, the job that they're chasing. Struggles maybe with the child. Uh, don't be a laggard. Um, the adverb is again from uh, the verb to hasten or accelerate. So as to earnestness uh, and diligence, get out front. Uh, don't be a laggard in serving the Lord. Um, next, Paul says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's a very interesting, picturesque uh, word, fervency. Uh, comes from the verb to be, to be hot or to boil. Uh, my sense here in this text is it get fired up about serving the Lord. I, I oftentimes see in the church people will come and they'll be around for X number of months and you know they're very diligent to start, but at some point something happens, who knows what. They begin to cool off. Uh, they used to come three times uh, a month and then it's two and then it's one. So Paul was saying, uh, don't, uh, don't be cold. Uh, get fired up. Stay engaged. There are, uh, I understand, 10,000 distractions in life. Some are harmless. Uh, some are issues of Christian liberty. But sometimes they overwhelm us in proportionality to our faith. I would remind you that that's a satanic a tactic to get you so busy and so overwhelmed that you begin to lag. And sometimes we need to recalibrate our lives based upon the scriptures. In this case, the virtues of the faith. We need to recalibrate our lives. Because relationships in the church are fueled by virtue. And it's not Grace Bible Church. It's the Lord's church. 
Uh, seventh is rejoicing, and again, in the hope, verse 12. Uh, I take the hope to be our hope of uh, victory and vindication. Now, all of us as Christians are fueled uh, by the hope that our Savior will not abandon us to evil. He will come for us. And uh, if we're in the grave, he will resurrect us. It's our hope. So that death will not win, will not be the victor. In the end, we win and get absolute glory. And regardless of how bad sometimes it may seem in your life, I mean, I understand uh, some of you are facing very, very challenging and difficult circumstances. You, you, you should be a child of hope uh, because of Jesus Christ and that God will reverse everything for His glory. Uh, I would remind you that uh, the lost in this world, the lost who do not know Jesus Christ, have absolutely no hope whatsoever. And we should, we should understand that in our witness because Christ is our hope. Now, the parallel is persevering in the tribulation. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 22. Jesus says, you'll be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. You are to persevere. Part of virtuous living is persevering. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, Paul strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Great eschatological debate in uh, the Christian church over do Christians go through the tribulation? I, I think it's answers in the affirmative. And we're to persevere. We're to continue faithful, regardless of how bad the times get. I'd remind you that our Savior inaugurated the end-time tribulation, certainly intensified in His crucifixion, but He never lost hope. And He rose again. Uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 6, uh, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And in verse 18, um, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. So, ways that we uh, overcome uh, this time of tribulation which we're living. Ephesians 6.13 uh, 
so that you might be able to resist in the evil day. What day is that? Well, the day of the end time tribulation. And then he says, having done everything to stand firm. That's persevering. Persevering. So we're to depend upon God every moment of every day of our lives. Uh, and we manifest this, uh, verse 12, devoted to prayer. Praying that God would uh, help us, strengthen us, encourage us. Uh, tenth virtue, virtue, verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. Cognate noun is the word for fellowship. We're to have a share in the needs of the saints. Uh, I would remind you, um, in the life of the church, everybody's fighting some kind of battle, uh, some more intense than others. Uh, and as Christians in the church, we should not have to fight alone. So this, I think, transcends monetary giving. It's giving of time, encouragement, help. Uh, reminding people that they're not alone. Here again, what a wonderful witness the church can have to the world because most men and women are terribly alone. Famous words, philosopher. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. Should not be in the church because of virtue and relationships. Lastly, practicing hospitality. The verb is literally uh, to pursue. Pursue hospitality. And the object, hospitality, is the word love of strangers. Yeah. Uh, in the ancient Near East, this always I've always been enamored by this. In the ancient Near East, uh, hospitality was a sacred duty. By sacred, I mean you were bound. So, uh, you know, ancient Near East, a stranger, uh, because there were no Motel 6s or Holiday Inns, uh, uh, a member of your tribe or perhaps another tribe comes to your home and he simply can't get to his own home before nightfall. He knocked on your door. You had a sacred duty. Give him hospitality. And hospitality drives relationships. And these virtues fuel relationships in the church. My favorite phrase is, this is not a lecture hall. It is, it is that in a crude part, but it's a place where people engage in relationships. Um, to me, these virtues are like uh, lubricants in an automobile. So you go out and you, you, uh, you buy your beloved automobile that you've been chasing and one comes available and uh, you go and uh, you drive it. And uh, what happens if you never, never change the oil? Well, eventually... Your beloved automobile is going to seize up. 
because it requires lubrication. Well, that's what virtues are in the life of the church. Uh, perhaps to use uh, uh, another metaphor that is appropriate for uh, the month of July and August, uh, some of you um, plant seasonal flowers. So what happens to them if you don't water them? I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> what happens to all the flowers that I plant? I don't flower. I mean, you water them because they have to, in, in the July and August sun, they're going to wither. That's what happens in the church. Absent virtue, relationships wither. Church becomes cold. Remember, our Lord rebukes a church in the book of the Revelation. Become cold. And He... Uh, enjoins them to be restored to the love that they had at first. Uh, don't be, don't be cold. Uh, I understand we live in a busy age. Everybody's in a hurry, but life is about relationships. The church, in particular, and virtues fuel those relationships, and they're driven by virtue. My, uh, uh, my last uh, command billet as a reservist was uh, Fort Sill. Uh, invited an uh, American Indian to come to the unit, speak to my uh, men and women that were in my unit. Uh, his name was Dwight Birdwell. Uh, he'd received two silver stars. In and of itself, that's kind of amazing in uh, the Republic of Vietnam. Uh, I'd read the book about uh, his, his, uh, his time in Vietnam, a hundred miles of bad road. So during the Tet Offensive of 1968, his uh, cavalry troop is going to Tonsonut Air Force Base to uh, helping the defense of the Air Force Base because it was under severe attack. His troop runs right into a Vietnamese, uh, North Vietnamese regiment. Uh, all of the lead tanks are uh, destroyed, lots of wounded. Birdwell uh, stays in his, in his tank, helps his tank commander who was wounded uh, to go to a place of safety, returns to his tank, place of duty. Wounded soldiers kind of retreat. When they get to Birdwell's tank, they stop. Because he was defending with all, all of the fierceness that he could. Uh, well, enough of the technicalities of tactics and uh, so on and so forth about a, about a tank. If you think about it, what Birdwell did was virtuous. He did his duty. Because soldiers, the very first days of basic training, are taught not to quit their post until relieved. Besides that, there's something very unique about soldiers. They have a unique comradeship, a unique love for one another to take care of one another. So he was loving his fellow soldiers. He was being loyal to his unit, and he refused to abandon. 
It's very interesting. Now, last, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday in the paper, Birdwell's first silver star was upgraded to a Medal of Honor. And to me, if you cut to the chase, he was just a virtuous man, loving his fellow soldiers. That, that should abide in the life of the church. A virtues um, uh, taught him, I think, to make a difference. And, and out of his entire cavalry troop, one man made a difference. And so let me tell you, one man or one woman can make a difference. Be that person. Make a difference. One way you do that is virtue. Well, virtues are, you might expect, the product of the grace of God. Um, we know that God is at work within us. We know Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Spirit indwells within us, creating virtue. Uh, and by grace, uh, God is transforming us. Um, great text, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is in the singular, and then what follows are a number of elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me name them for you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all virtues in the life of the church. The product of the Spirit of God. Let me restate, Paul. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit working in you creates this beautiful life. I mean, think about that if we had that in our, in our civil, civil discourse. Political discourse. I mean, everybody's mad and angry, uh, throwing, metaphorically speaking, rocks. Different in church because the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit driving those virtues in your life. And you participate because that's what sanctification is. Uh, this text is an allusion, by the way, to prophet Isaiah. If you turn to Isaiah chapter uh, 32. Read verses 15 to 17. Context is uh, prophetic of the new creation and restoration until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fertile field and the fertile field is considered as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the fertile field and the work of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. The end time restoration that's begun for us in the Spirit of God, working peace and quietness and gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit. Spirit's the divine agent to fructify us, developing virtuous living. And, you know, 
You want to have a witness in this world? This lonely, cold, sometimes very hard, cruel world? Paul has just told us. Virtue. Of course, in common grace, uh, the lost man has, has a shadowy form of virtues. Um, you and I have the real thing and the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what makes the church different. Uh, and God makes us so is evidenced in virtue. So God gives us new hearts and the Spirit to dwell within us in sovereign grace and power. He also gives us duties to live out our lives and manifestation of that power in virtuous living. Uh, this morning, uh, first uh, Sunday of uh, the month, uh, we are going to reflect momentarily on the virtues of our Savior. Uh, because... Uh, he was under no obligation to save anyone. But he came to save. Um, the Gospels say that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We were the lost. He came to seek us and to save us. Uh, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve came to ransom us, the one for the many, and to purchase us for his kingdom. And you can, as I know you have, you've studied his life and read about his life in the Gospels. Uh, you can simply see that virtue was all over him. He was righteousness and gentleness and faithfulness. Uh, and so, as I, as I pass the elements this morning, uh, I remind you that our Savior uh, authors as well with the Great Spirit our virtuous living. And we have in Him uh, not just an example, but certainly an example of our virtuous life. And so, as, uh, as I break the bread, I, I remind you that... Uh, uh, his, his body was broken in so many ways through the intensity of persecution. But he never left his place of duty. He was loyal to the end. He loved his own. And would not leave them until he finished his work. Uh, so I passed the bread. Think upon those things and what they mean to you and uh, fellowship with your Savior. Remind you at Grace Bible Church, this is an open communion. If you profess to know Christ as your Savior and uh, you are not living in some known sin for which you refuse to repent, uh, you're not under some form of uh, uh, discipline from another church, uh, your home church perhaps, uh, you are welcome to take because it's His table. It's where he comes in a more intensified form to meet us, to fellowship with us. Because he knows, spiritually speaking, that we are hungry and thirsty. And he is living bread that came down out of heaven. And he is living water 
for us to eat and drink that we might have strength to practice the great virtues of the faith that fuel relationships in the church for His glory. Let's prepare our hearts for the taking of the bread. Oh, Father, we thank Thee for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that keeps us safe and fuels us in the duties of our faith based upon our great and only Redeemer. Bless us individually and corporately as we partake to signify that we belong uh, to the one true living Savior. And make us full that we might go away strengthened all the more to live for Thee and for Thy blessed kingdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As uh, we pass the service of, the, of uh, the cup, I remind you that in the center of the service there's wine, the periphery there's grape juice, that each may partake in the freedom of their own traditions. Uh, but more importantly, that our Savior drank the cup of judgment, that we might never have to drink it. It will pass us by. Uh, we drink the cup of joy. We drink the cup of the new covenant. And uh, a reminder of all of the blessings that accrue to us uh, because of him. Uh, again, uh, hold the cup until which time all are served. We will uh, drink together, manifesting our unity and our oneness. Uh, and more importantly, uh, if you have occasion in your own heart to give thanks that Christ uh, in His grace came for you. Our Father, we thank Thee for the cup. By faith, our Savior quenches our thirst. And we do live in a dry and thirsty land, but our Savior has given us his great spirit, so that from our innermost being there flows rivers of living water. And as we travel through this dry and thirsty land, uh, keep us ever mindful of the grace of God that keeps us, preserves us, and gives us joy and love and sincerity and fervent spirits uh, to love our great and only Redeemer. And uh, thank Thee, Lord, for Thy every provision. And these things we pray in His name and for His glory. Amen. You place your cups in the receptacles there in your pews. A uh, couple of announcements. Uh, we will meet for prayer next Saturday at 8 a.m. Um, Tim and Cherry Hoke will be with us the 17th of uh, this month. Uh, traditionally, this is when we raise uh, special funds for our ministry in Uganda and the Congo. Uh, certainly would ask you to prayerfully consider uh, special gifts so that they can uh, return, uh, as well as for uh, Upoki, who represents us in uh, the Congo. I'm not aware of anything else. Someone have something they'd like to bring to the attention of God's people before we're dismissed? Well, good enough. Let's stand for concluding prayer and word of benediction. 
Our Father, we are thankful that our Savior was fervent in spirit. He was not a laggard. He came for us. And we are His. And we're profoundly thankful. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen.